Welcome to Every Part, a division of Sharing Bread Ministries, highlighting different parts of the body of Christ in work, culture, and personality. Hosted by Kaylee Yo and me, Betsy Eldridge. We had the best time talking to Ben Telfair, and we actually had his wife, Meredith Telfair, on on the first season, and it was such a joy to get to have him on and just to kind of put their stories together. But um, he's a pastor at uh, Betsy's church, and she's really excited to talk to him. Just take a listen. I am so excited that you're here. <laughs> I have been so looking forward to this. Um, okay, so Ben, ben goes to our church, and um, I just— your passion for the Lord and for His Word is contagious. I mean, and like you sneak His Word in when you're talking to people and they don't even know that you're speaking Scripture <laughs> to them. It's like, that's Scripture. <laughs> so I just would love to hear a little of your backstory. Like, how did you become a Christian? And let's go from there. Absolutely. So first of all, I'm so honored to be here. Thank you so much. Yes. And I am the second Telfair to be on this podcast. I know. So I'm honored. Team Telfair. Team Telfair. Um, so I grew up, I was born in Central Florida. Florida, but my dad uh, actually just retired uh, uh-huh. in February from the Federal Department of Transportation. Wow. And that's important for the story just because because of his work, we moved around quite often. So about every yeah. two years, we would move and born in Central Florida, then quickly to Tallahassee and all the way up the East Coast and back down. And growing up in a godly home, we had always a love for people, and mm-hmm. my parents tried to instill in us also just a love for God's Word. Yeah. And I credit that to my parents. They yeah. were always uh, reading, studying. I have visual memories of my mom having her Bible open before her, studying, and mm-hmm. we would just get to be invited into that. And so yeah. looking back now and having conversations with my parents, they tried to make it just a part of the everyday substance of our family life and rhythm. And as we grew up, we um, not only had that instilled in us, but also a love for the church. And I can remember um, growing up, I was 13 years old and was interested in the things of the Lord, um, but I can remember going to a worship service and I could not articulate at the time, but I remember we left the service and we were in the church parking lot and I told my parents that I cannot explain it. I don't understand it, but I did not want to leave that service and I've never yeah. experienced that before in my life. And my parents in that church parking lot said to me, what well, seems like the Lord's calling you to himself. Oh. And, and and they unpacked the gospel and they uh, and I they they it was just the weight of the beauty of the Lord at the age of 13 and uh, and so my parents have prepped all along yeah but at 13 is when I really came to know the Lord and was just captivated by him wow. and uh, and then shortly thereafter we were in Pennsylvania at the time mm-hmm. came back down to Florida and uh, I began to get involved in just the church local church ministry and couldn't articulate the time, but then felt a sense of a a nudge and a call Mm -hmm. to maybe ministry, not sure what that fully meant. Uh And then my parents nudged me again and said, I think the Lord may be calling you to ministry Uh and let's work through that, let's tease that out. 
And uh, next thing you know, I am attending Sanford University, mm-hmm. and we've been in Birmingham ever since. So it's a oh, wow. So that's the short version. Yeah, a lot to unpack. Uh, yeah, but that's the that's the abridged version. Wow, of my I story. love it. Mm-hmm. I love that your parents had margin that they could sit in that parking lot with you, and they weren't in a rush to go someplace mm-hmm. else, and they just stopped what they were doing and met you where you were, and they were listening. I mean, because think about like when you're leaving church on a Sunday, like it's chaotic. Everybody's hungry. Oh yes. You know, were you an only child no i had an older brother so (laughs) i try to remember what was it like for him to Uh, go through that because he was probably (laughs) starving probably starving (laughs) i mean you know and like everybody's tired you're i mean you know there's so much on a sunday afternoon yes for them to just stop how sweet a picture yes and like walk you through that what a sweet testimony it's amazing Mm -hmm. and and they would plant those seeds all along never rushing never pushing yeah. Um, but always there, and it's just—I mean, my parents. You know, they—they. They, I'm as far as I know, I'm the only one in my family who's ever been in full-time vocational ministry. But wow. they have such a knack and an awareness for ministry, and that's what they were doing all along. It's amazing. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it seems like they listen to the Holy Spirit so strongly, like to be able to see, like, oh, this is what God's doing in their lives. Mm-hmm. That's a really hard thing in parenting is like re- recognizing what God's gift is for your child and not trying to put like your gift on them. Yeah. Yes. You know, and yes. like, oh, this is what you should do because this is what I did, or you know, whatever. Yes. But they didn't. They saw where God was leading you and moving you. Yes. Wow. Yeah. And, and I, you know, we can all face that as parents. Of, I, I still even want to do that. You know, our boys are eight and they're five, and you see so much of their personalities, and you have so many things you want to do for them. But from my parents, I really learned just the the discipline of listening well to the Lord. And like you said. Yeah. Just, You've got to be patient if you're going to do that. And yes. they were unbelievably patient. Yeah. It's remarkable. That's crazy. Yeah. Um, well, do you care to talk a little bit about your mom's, like, um, you said she would always invite you in to, like, her studying the Word. What did that look like? Was it? Yes. So growing up, my mom would always do um, – Beth Moore and K. Arthur studies. Yes. Yeah. And My mom she, did tons of Beth Moore. Yes. I heard her on tapes in the car. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> yes. And I, I just remember the, the Bible studies, and they were thick, and they were the notebooks. And she would yeah. always, you know, I think one of the things I'm learning nowadays, it's it's so easy to read the, the Bible on a screen. Mm-hmm. And I've tried, by way of a discipline, as much as I can to read it physically yeah. on, on a copy not because I think one is 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 bad or one is good or one's better or one's worse, but our kids have a hard time differentiating between, you know, playing a game, yeah. yes. checking email, or are we reading the Bible? Yes. And just my mom always having her Bible open, her commentaries open, her studies open, and I just have such visual pictures of that. Yes. And she would invite me into sit when I would watch her. So she was, mm-hmm. I think, always strategically placed. Um, yeah. And then we would just go, like, open up the Word together, and she would just tell me what she was studying. We would read it out loud. She would ask me if I wanted to read. She would ask me, do I understand? Mm-hmm. And we would really w- try to apply it where we were as a family, where mm-hmm. I was in my own life as a student. Yeah. And we would try to pr- – she would. She actually taught me how to begin to pray the Word yeah. by just taking a verse or a word from the Scriptures and thanking the Lord for it praising him from it, making requests of him from it. And it was such a, from a mom, a a natural art of who she was. And she tried to make it as conversational as possible. Yeah. And it really, it wasn't as as much of an academic study as it was the scriptures being used to just talk about everyday things of life. Yeah. And it's an art. Mm -hmm. It is an art. 
And sometimes we just have to get in there together and study it together, and mm-hmm. God teaches us. I mean, it's not yes. about what I know. It's about the Holy Spirit in me teaching me Yes, through His Word. Yes. And she would always capture, I think for me, the wonder of the Word. Mm-hmm. She would always just be in awe and amazement of, can you believe that this is who God is? Or can you believe that he's promised this? Yeah. And it felt like, you know, you're almost opening up, you know, the door to Narnia. Yeah. It's just there is truth to it. And God's every word of God is true, but there's beauty to it as well. And she would help me, looking back, see both of them together, not pitted against one another, but working together. Together. Mm. Yeah. Did Mm. she grow up in a Christian home? She did, thankfully, yes. And uh, and she saw those same patterns as well. Yeah. And uh, and it's just remarkable to to look back on all of that, that there's a rich family legacy Mm -hmm. being passed down. Oh, so Um, so amazing. It's remarkable. It really is. And you just want to keep passing it down from generation to generation. I mean, I pray that a lot. Like, please don't let any of our generations that come from our line not know you and not follow hard after you. Yes. Because I don't I don't want to drop the ball. I want to, I mean, yes. Was, my mom was like, here, your mom, like uh, her Bible was always on the kitchen table, like open, you know, mm-hmm. like, and, and it is a good visual. Like even like um, looking back, you don't realize how important just being able to see it was. Yes. You know? Yes. Mm-hmm. So. Yeah. I, that's something I try to do because of my, my, my mom and my, my parents, but especially my mom's study is. You know, hopefully one of the first things the boys see in the morning is uh, just me with my Bible open and a cup of coffee, you know, just to try to <laughs> yeah. plant that image for them, you know, and uh, and because that's, I remember what was planted for us. Mm-hmm. And um, and so, yeah, like you said, just those little moments that add up to these beautiful pictures. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Daily faithfulness. Yes. Yes. That is awesome. Um, well, when did you start really memorizing scripture? I think um, it w- it began probably mid to late high school, mm-hmm. and I remember I probably want to credit again to my mom's studies because you know I don't know how you get through a Beth Moore or K Arthur study without right? memorizing scripture. Yeah, it's a ton she, of write it yes, ten times. Yes, <laughs> so she would really challenge me, and um, and and it was a wonderful uh, um, exercise to uh, to memorize it. And then she, the way we would try to converse with it is also to, I mean, through memorization, as you you know, is just to to meditate on it, to Mm -hmm. really reflect on it, to allow it to begin, not to just memorize it within your mind, Mm -hmm. but allow it to work on your heart and your soul and sit with it, work with it. Yes. And so those are some of the earliest, earliest memories I have of of doing, I mean, yes, as a child, um, but, but it being meaningfully done, Mm -hmm. watching my mom have done it, uh, my dad have done it, and then Mm -hmm. being invited to do it with them. And it really just beginning to truly take root around that time. Yes. It is some, there's something special about doing it like as a family and like all together and like we're all saying it together. There's, I don't know what it is, but it's like, oh, something like the, it's um, the camaraderie in it. Yes. Yeah, a little bit, you know, um, and it's sweet and you can remind each other even with the scriptures, like when you're suffering with through something, you know, which sometimes we throw, like we do um, do everything without complaining or arguing is one of our ones that my kids love to do together. <laughs> all together yes. now. All together now I think we need to add that ride. to the family memorization yes. calendar. <laughs> That's a good Mom one. pulls that one out when we're all complaining. Everybody yes. loves it. <laughs> really takes root. Mm-hmm. Well, what story in scripture do you always think back on? You know, I um, one of the ones I'm most drawn to is uh, just the story of Joseph. Yeah. Uh, it's one I... I'm often drawn back to, I think maybe because um, 
you know, having moved around quite a bit, mm-hmm. his story was never constant. It was always in flux. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But thankfully, I was not thrown into a pit by my <laughs> older brother uh, or brothers. Um, yes. I did not suffer in a jail. <laughs> but I think it's it's remarkable to see that there is no way uh, at the beginning of it all, Joseph could have been aware of all that God was doing yeah. in him and through him. Right. And I think I'm so drawn to that story because it is about Joseph, but it goes through and beyond Joseph mm-hmm. to bless his family and the nations because it's a fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham that he's going to bless the nations. But it's not how we would typically think of blessing the nations because God's going to do it oftentimes through the suffering of Joseph. Mm -hmm. And we do see God's wisdom in the midst of it all, in the trenches of it all. Uh, But we, uh, something I'm continually reminded of in Genesis 50 verse 20, where it says he has the scene, his father just passed away, his brothers are terrified because he's the second in command, the second most highest powerful man in all of the world. And now they're trembling at their brother and they don't know what he's going to do to them because the father, Jacob's out of the picture. Mm -hmm. And he says to them, not words of condemnation, which he easily could have done, Mm -hmm. but he speaks words of comfort. And by way of speaking to them, to all of us, it says, what you meant for evil, and he recognizes what they did. Right. Mm-hmm. He says, God meant for good. And you can't, I'm, I think I'm struck by the beauty of that because it comes at the very end of the story in Genesis 50. Mm-hmm. There's no way you could have understood the sweetness of it in Genesis 37 when the story begins. You've mm-hmm. got to go through the pain and the suffering and the trials and the tribulations yeah. and the flux and the ups and downs, all of it to fully appreciate the weight of it. And I think, yeah. mm-hmm. you know, when you look back on our, our, our family's stories or our church's member stories or the people that we work with and that suffer through things, there's a sweetness to that that comes on the other side of it. Right. And, and that is, uh, you know, uh, uh, our hope, according to Romans 8.28, that God really is working all things for good, mm-hmm. but you can see it so tangibly in the life right. of Joseph. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's probably my favorite because I'm, I'm most often drawn to it, and it's mm-hmm. certainly one that I have not come to the end of in my own life, but yeah. I, I kind of almost carry around as an anchor. Mm-hmm. Right. Well, just so many things. It was like punch after punch after punch to poor Joseph. I yeah. mean, sold as a slave. Oh, now put in the jail, <laughs> forgotten in the jail. I mean, you know, it wasn't just one or two things. No. You know, it was like hard. And I think sometimes we, you know, we see him, oh, he saved the Israelites because he was second in command. But I mean, that was after a lot of bad, mm-hmm. you know, and then we can like make it look so sweet. Oh, what God meant. I mean, you know, what man went for for harm god meant for good but like that was like you said a bunch of chapters later and that's a lot of life later chapters i mean represent years and years in his life that he could say that and i think sometimes we try to rush through that and try to make it sweet and it's not always sweet Mm -hmm. it's hard sometimes um now i'm reminded too when you know at the end of joseph's life that's why we never know someone's story of, you know, I'm reminded constantly when I hear people's testimonies. I know, know, you know, I was talking to someone recently who I've known for quite a while, Mm -hmm. and I know them as one version of they're following the Lord. They're so gracious, they're tender, they're patient, they're generous. Mm -hmm. But to see them transformed of who they were before they met Christ, Mm -hmm. I almost have a hard time seeing that because I've seen 
them on the other side of the story, right. of the Genesis 50 story, yeah. Yeah. not on the beginning of it all when it first started. And that's hope for all of us. And we'd never mm-hmm. know what someone's going through or with the story that God could tell in and through them. Yeah. Yeah. So it's deeply, yeah, as you said, comforting, encouraging, and challenging. Yes, mm-hmm. it definitely is. Sometimes sharing your faith can be intimidating, but genuine questions, genuine questions can lead to gospel conversations. In Matthew, Jesus enters Caesarea Philippi and asks his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? Jesus then asked, what about you? Who do you say that I am? Jesus used questions throughout scripture to uncover the heart of man concerning himself, and we can too. I love asking people, what do you think about Jesus? It helps open the conversation to share my faith that Jesus loved me so much that he saved me from my sin and shame through his life, death, and resurrection. And now I walk in the love of God with assurance that one day I will live with him. Just as Jesus asked his disciples, who do you say that I am? You can ask those you meet, what do you think about Jesus? And use this question to share your faith. To hear a complete presentation of the gospel, visit sharing-bread.com. I wanted to hear some of your core values because I know Meredith talked about y'all's family yeah, core values and we loved them. And so I just would love to hear like your values as, um, you know, the leader of your household and this a man with your core values. Yeah. You know, I, I think one of the core values that I personally have outside of the ones that Meredith has already shared, I think as a, as a man, um, I think as a man with boys, you know, because mm-hmm. I remember when Meredith was first pregnant with Hudson, our oldest, there's something that just strikes a chord in the heart of a, of a father that are, do you have what it takes to father a son yeah. and provide for him? Will he have enough and what will you pass on and, and what do you not want to pass on? Mm-hmm. And then you add to it when we had Liam, our, our youngest, and so now having two boys and as a pastor as well, I've been struck um, throughout the years, especially I think um, when Meredith and I got married and becoming a parent, uh, the, the, I think the, the biggest core value for me is, is gentleness yeah. um, outside of the ones that Meredith has already shared as a family because mm-hmm. when you look at scriptures, Jesus, his own self-description of his own heart in Matthew 11, 28 to 30, he says that I am gentle and lowly. Mm-hmm. Of all the ways that Jesus could have described himself, he describes himself as gentle and lowly. Mm-hmm. And Dane Ortland really brings this out in, uh, in his book, and just to reflect on that reality, the biblical truth and beauty of it. But then uh, you, know, you see it in uh, the fruit of the Spirit. Of all people, yeah. the Apostle Paul, who is so zealous, mm-hmm. so passionate, um, the, the greatest missionary we've ever had, the spirit inspires him to write that gentleness is a fruit of the spirit Mm -hmm. that we all are that's not an option but it's essential gospel quality that we have to shine forth and then as a pastor and you look at the qualifications of an elder one of the qualifications is they've got to be gentle Mm -hmm. and i am continually struck by that i think as a father as a husband as a pastor in the day and age that we live in, the natural disposition of our time is not naturally bent toward gentleness. No. And I think there's a beauty to the gospel when even Jesus 
calls us in Matthew 10 that we're to be, you know, wise as serpents and innocent as doves. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. That imagery is really playing, especially on the dove, of gentleness, yeah. being peaceful. And I, I think that um, I'm challenged as, as with, you know, with all of those areas of responsibility that I have um, to come alongside to reflect the heart of God, the heart of Christ, mm-hmm. uh, with gentleness, because um, it's 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 something that is not often um, expected, but mm-hmm. it's certainly needed. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And whether people are down and out, they're suffering, or they need encouragement, or they're expecting you to come back at them with anger or host- hostility, mm-hmm. uh, gentleness, I think, is always surprising, yeah. um, but yeah. it's always warming. And it, 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 yeah. um, it, to borrow, I guess, a phrase from C.S. Lewis from the Screwtape Letters, that it, it woos people to the gospel and to the Lord. Yeah. And I don't think we can ever have enough of that. No, we cannot. Wow. I don't have enough of it, I can tell you. <laughs> I struggle with gentleness. <laughs> oh, that's a hard one. Wow, I am impressed. With two boys, too, to be gentle. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's daily getting on your knees, I'm sure. It's not always my first <laughs> yes, reaction either, but, but it's wonderful to see, you know, to get on their level and you know, Meredith is so much more naturally um, wired for that. And because I think gentleness, even just as parenting, you know, and spe- thinking about our eight-year-old and our five-year-old, mm-hmm. as you said, you've got to get on their level. You've got yeah. to get on bended knee. You have to talk with their tone of voice and their mm-hmm. language and their listening. And I think only the gospel can provide those resources. Those oh, are not yeah. natural to our disposition. No, yeah. they're not. Mm-hmm. But that's the thing about God. He's so opposite of what were our natural inclinations. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. he's just, it's just completely countercultural, which yes. is so cool. Yeah, I was wondering what scriptures have shaped or encouraged you just in your calling. Yes. You, you know, imagine? one of, um, Probably the one uh, that has shaped me, if I had to only pick one more than any other, um, there's two that come to mind, but one in particular is Psalm 119. Mm-hmm. I can remember being in high school and um, speaking of memorizing scriptures, mm-hmm. just spending a lot of time in Psalm 119 with, uh, with my family and some dear friends. And uh, what is struck me about Psalm 119, coming back to it years later, uh, I, I attended Sanford University, mm-hmm. where Meredith and I met, and then after graduation, I went directly into Beeson Divinity School to uh, to complete my Master of Divinity, and then a few years later, I was able to return back to Beeson to uh, to study in their Doctor of Ministry program. And in the Doctor of Ministry program, you have to have um, a, a, a biblical uh, theological project or topic, and. Um, it was. It really felt full circle because my project was based on Psalm 119, oh, and it was all about um, how can we uh, equip the the church mm-hmm. with the ministry of the word to yes. share in the ministry mm-hmm. of the word. Yes. And um, and with that, there's a, a, a small book by um, an Australian author named Peter Adam mm-hmm. called Speaking God's Word, and he has this great line in it that he shares that the ministry of the word ought to be pulpit-centered, but it should not be pulpit-restricted. So it ought to begin with the preaching of the Word, Mm -hmm. but it shouldn't stop there. It should, almost like a a waterfall or a cascading fountain, overflow to the people of God in the the everyday, any and all ministries within the church, 
but then to go outside the walls of the church. Right. And I've been struck throughout the years how Psalm 119 is actually a discipleship resource to equip us to do just that because it's the longest chapter in the book of Psalms. Mm -hmm. It's therefore the longest chapter actually in the all of scripture. Mm. And it focuses solely on the beauty and the, and the resilience and the strength and the power of the word of God and mm. therefore the psalmist's delight in the word. Right. And what, I, what strikes me about Psalm 119 is he, he talks about the word in verses one to three but then in verse four and all the way to the end of uh, 176, he actually, with only one exception of only one place, prays his way through the entire psalm. Mm -hmm. oh, so he's wow. praying the very word of God back to God, mm -hmm. but it shapes his delight, it shapes mm -hmm. him, even though he goes through suffering, through trials, through yes. wonderful moments. And so that has really shaped me of my own desire and delight in the word, mm -hmm. um, but how to pray the word and then how to come back to help our people to get back into the Word. Right. And because of that, I think another passage is just Ephesians 4, that as a pastor, it's our responsibility to equip the saints for the work of ministry. And we do that by equipping them with the Word. Yeah. Right. So those two passages throughout the years have really anchored me mm -hmm. of Psalm 119 on the mm -hmm. one hand, from the Old Testament, and then Ephesians 4 in the New Testament that come together for the work of gospel ministry. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Well, I love in 119 how he's talking about you know how he loves his law and he meditates on it day and mm -hmm. night and and he will not neglect his word and like if we can teach people not to neglect God's word, you know, in the church and we can teach them that love for his law and the, and that love for his word, then they will be changed people who will go out and change more. I mean, like we are that that's what we are called to do. And I mean, I feel like there's so few people who are really digging deep into God's word and I don't know how to encourage it more. I mean, like, like you're robbing yourself, but I, but I, so how would, how do you go about encouraging people to dig deep, even when it's hard yes. into God's word? I think one of the best encouragements we can give, uh, we can give our people and uh, is to get to dig into the word. They, to encourage them to just slow down with the word. Right. We, I think for two reasons. One, the Bible can be just an intimidating book right. or a, as we know, a collection of books. And I can remember um, uh, reading the Bible and, uh, and, and the boys, you know, they're, they're learning to read, they're in mm -hmm. school. And uh, they asked me, well, what do you read next when you're done reading the Bible? <laughs> I, I just love the way they phrase that question. And I told them, well, I go back and read it all over yeah, again. Start over. And they couldn't understand that. And it's an opportunity, I think, because we're so fast pacing and our kids are wired. We're all mm -hmm. wired of to hurry up. We've got a lot to do. Our schedules are busy. We have so much. It can be an intimidating book on the one end. Mm -hmm. And we live such fast paced, fast paced lives. And I think the beauty of it is by way of invitation to help them just slow down with it. Yeah. To read, yes, of the Bible widely, but also read deep. Yeah. To maybe just pick a chapter, pick a paragraph from that chapter, maybe pick a verse, maybe then commit to memory or to meditate on it. And that's what Psalm 119 does is to just help you linger in the word. Right. Because as he wrote Psalm 119, you can tell some of the Psalms were written on very specific occasions uh, in, in maybe one sitting. But the way Psalm 119 was wired, uh, it's it takes the Hebrew alphabet and it's it is beautifully orchestrated to have eight verses 
per Hebrew alphabet, and it's wonderfully, masterfully structured. So you can tell there's actually no way he sat down in one sitting to write this. He mm -hmm. lingered mm -hmm. under the Spirit's composition of Psalm 119. And I think that's one of the best things we can do to encourage our people is just to linger with it. Yeah. Slow down. Yeah. Mark some time. Maybe journal through it. Pray through it. Just let it work on you instead right. of you just trying to conceptually master it. Right. And I think that's one of the beauties of it because as we've talked before, yeah. there's so much to the scriptures when you just keep reading it and rereading it and there's more observations to be had than one sitting will allow you to do. Right. Mm -hmm. So I, I think that's one of the best things is maybe the spirit is drawing people to a particular book, particular passage. I think Bible reading plans are very helpful. I, I, I have one that, for a daily Bible reading plan. But I think every person, I think the scriptures are so wide ranging that depending on what a person's going through, it's almost like a medicine cabinet. If there's a book we can prescribe or a, a passage or a chapter we can prescribe or to encourage one another with mm -hmm. and just encourage them to linger with it yeah. mm -hmm. and let the word and the spirit do his work through the word on them yeah. mm -hmm. would be a great encouragement, I think. Well, and I think your mom kind of taught you that. Like, I was sitting here thinking, like, with a Bible open on the table, that's not rushed. Mm -hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like you're seeing that Bible open all the time. That's a that's a slow pace coming and sitting. You know, it's that margin that we talked about. But like so many times now, it's like, well, how fast can I read through the Bible? Or yeah. let's read through the Bible, and I got to read my Bible and make sure I get in all the chapters or whatever. Well, then it's like, hurry, hurry, you know, quick. I'm just going to get the words in. But like, if we could just sit and just be, and because it just like like you told Hudson, like. You're just going to start back over. Mm -hmm. It's not a race. Like, yes. this is just, we're just going to read through it, and then we're going to start back over. So why am I, like, you know, trying to speed through it? It's not a, you know. Yeah, trying to help them to to enjoy it, yeah. to right. savor it. You know? Sit with Jesus. Yes. You know, if I've, you know, recently I'll have, to, I'll have to tell Hudson, don't eat so fast. Yeah. You know, just yes. slow down, enjoy yeah. the meal. Yes. I think the same thing when it comes to the Word as you're talking about, just I to enjoy it. it. Imagine it's a feast. You don't mm -hmm. want to eat it and then get out the door. This is the plan for the day. This is what everything's been leading up to. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, to help them just enjoy it, to delight in it, Yes, mm -hmm. I think is a wonderful thing. Well, like, like equating it to a meal and not, not eating so fast, that does help you to delight in it. I love that. Mm -hmm. oh, that makes me so excited because um, – I see the need so yeah. bad. It does. It makes you want to. I love how you said that because it does make you want to take a deep breath. I do the checklist. Bible in years. What I'm going through right now. I'm like, oh, okay. I got to get here. But thank you for the reminder of. Yeah. Sometimes it's okay just to sit in it and really yeah. listen to what God's teaching you. Yeah. Right. What would you say to a new believer who's just getting started? Where would you tell them to start? I think it is just really hard um, not to read the Gospel of John. It has mm. been so historically used uh, throughout the church to encourage first-time believers uh, because uh, you see such a beauty to it that is so easy to see just right out of the first uh, chapter of who Jesus is, that he was mm -hmm. with God. And then John the Baptist speaks for Jesus in verse 29 where he says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Yes. Mm -hmm. And it, it, it opens up such a simple... Not a simplistic, but a simple, beautiful picture of who Jesus is from start to finish. Mm -hmm. But then there is so much weight and depth to it that it, it echoes throughout all of Scripture and you can't exhaust it. I think mm -hmm. that would be a, a great place yeah. to begin to understand who Jesus is. 
But then I do think the book of Psalms is an excellent point as well because, uh, as, as one commentator put it, the book of Psalms contains every range of human emotion. Mm-hmm. So it yeah. teaches us that <laughs> yeah. it really is our prayer book for all of yeah. life, for yeah. the highs and the lows. And it, 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 I think it, it can encourage and comfort people to know that no matter what you go through, God has a, a, God has a prayer and a promise through the Psalms to comfort you. And yes. that you've not been alone and that God's people have been praying the Psalms for thousands of years, mm, yes. and they, yeah. we will continue to do so until the Lord comes. Yeah, and so I think those two working together—it's hard to pick what what would be a good. I would probably say the Gospel of John yeah, together. <laughs> do both. If yeah. I came up with that, I would do John and the yeah. Psalms. Yeah, those are great. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Mm. Chapter of each, into yeah. <laughs> or don't rush, sit, don't, don't rush. rush. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah, <laughs> oh, that's awesome. Well, I mean, it is—it's so fun to. To have a game plan to be able to say, okay, this is where I would go, and just sit with this, and and keep rereading. I mean, if you have to read John fifteen times, I read James for a whole year every night. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, I just sat with it for a whole year every night. That is ridiculous. Like thinking back, but like it really helped me. I mean, you know, and obviously God had something to teach me in James. It's a really hard book, yes. <laughs> but I mean, you know, it doesn't matter. It's just God teaching you where He, he has you where He wants you. Yes, I love that, John. Mm-hmm. That's, That's so awesome. good. Yeah. Um, when you're walking with God, what would you say is important to remember in order to do your part in the body? Hmm. I, I think, I, I think I'm, I'm, I'm recently reminded, um, actually, from a book by uh, Ed Welch. He's a, he's a counselor and an author, and he has a book. He he wrote it uh, not too long ago, but it's called Side by Side. And in the very beginning of the book, um, he uses this framework to set up the entire book. Uh, and he says that we are, uh, as disciples of Jesus, we are both needy mm-hmm. and we're needed. Yes. And and we are not one or the other, but we're both. Mm. That we need help. That's that's the needy side of it. And so we are not self-sufficient. Yeah. We need the people of God. But to also at the same time remember that when it comes to the people of God, we're also needed. Yeah. That we are contributors, that we're helpers, that we're servants. Mm-hmm. And so bringing those two things together, I, I'm reminded, especially just in this season of life, taking that together, um, maybe it, it may be my, my disposition, but I think tangibly for me, I, I'm, I'm reminded that I, I need encouragement mm-hmm. and I need to provide encouragement yeah. because life can just have a way of wearing you down yeah i think you know from first corinthians 15 it says you know, don't don't weary of doing good you know mm-hmm. and and continue to do good he's encouraging us to do that and i think we can go throughout our days and our weeks wondering is anything we're doing gonna matter yeah is it mm-hmm. adding up right are we seen uh, are we being overlooked i don't know if it's going to count and to remind our one another that what we're doing does matter and the Lord sees it all and he's right. en- He's encouraging us through his word, but to encourage one another. And, I, and, and, and encouragement by way, especially encouraging the church and the people of God and just anybody is, what I think I, I tangibly try to do is to try to encourage um, what I recognize God doing in their life. Yeah. That way mm-hmm. it encourages them but ultimately, it could it can it gives God the glory, right? And not just keep it up. You're doing great, which you know they need that. But more so, I can see God 
softening you. Yeah. Mm. I can see God strengthening you. There's a disposition that's different, and I just want to encourage you to keep going. Mm. Yeah. That's good. I, I think so. Encouragement by thinking through that framework has been really helpful for me. Mm. Yeah. That's really good. That is good. Mm-hmm. Do you see a big need in the church? right now like what what needs do you see like within the church right now in our generation i feel like we're we're in a, a very interesting time in history that i feel like church leaders need help from the people and i don't know how to help really yeah. but what do you see the biggest need i i see uh one of the biggest needs is um that's just a, such a great question one of the biggest needs i, I think uh, as a pastor is uh, you know we need prayer. Yeah. Um, we need to be a, a, a praying people. Yeah. I think it, it's because it's so easy to, to you know, our schedules are, are busy as right. they are. Uh, our our people's schedules are so busy. But then when we're when we're met with challenges, we can think that okay, if we can just conquer this and get past the next thing. But to really give ourselves to prayer, uh, being just a praying people. Um, mm-hmm. And I can remember, you know, um, a story about Charles Spurgeon. He called it his boiler room. And he said to someone, you know, if you want to see the power of the gospel ministry here, I need to really show you. Mm-hmm. And it was a, a group of people that were praying uh, at all times, you know, for the church. Yeah. That's amazing. And and you could, and that's of Charles Spurgeon of all people. Yeah. He didn't rely on his gifts, although he probably could have because he was unbelievably gifted. But he was a dependent man, and mm. and they were a dependent church, depending on God and prayer. Right. And you can imagine they were praying the word, mm-hmm. so they were in the word. Right. And I think just helping our people see the need for prayer. Mm. But I also think um, I'm struck by this again from church history. That Jonathan Edwards he would always talk about just the beauty of God, mm. and as smart as he was, intelligent as he was, he was arguably the greatest theologian that America has ever produced. Mm-hmm. But he was captured by the beauty of God. And when he preached and when he wrote, he was always trying to get his people, especially in his sermons, to see how beautiful God is from his word. Yeah. And I, not just how powerful God is, although he is, mm-hmm. not just how our minds need to be given to the scriptures, although they need to be, mm-hmm. but to really reflect on and to be amazed by and to think to ourselves when we get done reading the word or hearing a sermon one of our first thoughts and hopes should be isn't our god beautiful mm-hmm. and you can see him in everything i think we're we're you know we're so attracted to beauty as we ought to be i mean our screens you know everything we're wired for yeah. but that's because we serve a beautiful god and his mm-hmm. beauty really shines forth in his words so i think prayer if praying his word and seeing his beauty in his word would be just such needed resources for today. Yeah, mm-hmm. I agree. That's awesome. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of a boiler room and like people were just really praying in that room all the time for the church. That's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, that I mean, mm-hmm. powerful. I can see how his church would have been and he how he's so effective in his ministry. Yeah. I mean, you know, a praying person. I mean, it's amazing, and all yeah. these prayers behind him. Yeah. Right. Yeah, it's needed back then and today. Right? Yes. The reason we call this podcast Every Part is because the Bible says that we are all part of God's body. And that's so important to remember. And it's so fun for me to get to hear different people's 
parts in the body of Christ. And this is what the Bible says about it. Now the body is not made up of one part, but of many. The foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be the part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. It would not for that reason cease to be part of the body. The whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has arranged the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. If they were all one part, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one body. Eighth grade, I mean, eight and five. Yes. Yes. Eight okay. and five. Um, so raising up two boys now in this new um, I don't know if it's generation, I don't know what you would call, like whatever's going on right now in society, it's a, it's a hard time yeah. uh, um, to raise kids. And how are you um, keeping them in the world, but not of the world? Yeah. And what are you, what, are, what protection are you trying to do? Um, for their eyes and their ears. They're, I mean, like, what are y'all trying, how are y'all intentionally parenting through this season and keeping them aware of what the Bible says about, you know, sexuality and all of the things that are like pressing on them at a very young age that mm-hmm. you would never have to say to a normal eight-year-old 15 years, years ago. ago. Yeah, or 10 years ago. Yes. Uh, you, know, um, you know, we, we I, I think we live in a very challenging time, mm-hmm. but as the church, we live in a very um, well-resourced time. There's so many good resources for parents today uh-huh. and that Meredith and I lean on and we are so blessed by. And of course, you know, you try to limit screen time as much as possible. Right. Uh, you try to spend as much time together as a family, share meals together, do life together. Mm-hmm invest together in one another, read together, read the scriptures together. But something that uh, is, is I've been reminded of is, you know, when, when, uh, when I was coming into college is uh, when Facebook really was pick, taking off. Yeah. And, um, and then the, I remember the smartphone came about when mm-hmm. I was in college. And yeah, I can remember thinking to myself, um, my grandfather would have had no concept of a smartphone or technology, mm-hmm. and he's with the Lord. He's he, you know, when he, I was 13 years old, he passed away. He's been with the Lord, and he's in glory. But no matter how much he loved my dad or me, mm-hmm. um, he could not have equipped me for that moment. Yeah. But he could because he didn't understand right. Apple products or right. smartphones or the way screens would have evolved. But what, so we've got to be able to equip our children, our loved ones, especially for us as parents. Marathon, very practically, we're trying to equip them in a way that will outlast us in any given cultural moment. Yes. And mm-hmm. very practically for us is the scriptures help us do that. And this is something I've been challenged by. So maybe this goes back to also the previous question of yeah. a resource the church needs today. Uh, is I, th- I think the church needs, and to, not to use too big of a word or phrase, but biblical theology. Yeah. 
the church needs biblical theology, which just means to help our people see, the church see, that the Bible is one story from start to finish, from mm-hmm. Genesis to Revelation, and that it, it all is fulfilled in the person and work of Jesus Christ. Mm-hmm. Well, very practically, tangibly, I think for us as parents, I think a phrase that has been ringing in my mind for quite a while now is the biblical theology, what it equips the church to do is just very practically, is it helps us tell a better story. That no matter what we're facing in a given cultural moment, especially let's say it's just human sexuality, mm-hmm. the, the Bible does not shy away from human sexuality. It addresses it, but not in a way to merely refute something, but to always give us a better story of what ought to be. Yes. That it satisfies the longing of every heart that any other story cannot do right and i think it to help us as parents we what we try to do with our boys is to say you know for example they're they're playing sports they're on a team Mm -hmm. well that's wonderful but the bible gives us a better team and a better family Mm -hmm. and and we we try to have it be a great family but the gospel gives only enables us to a even be a great great family mm-hmm. you know but even more importantly gives our boys a greater family if something were to happen to mom and dad right that they are a you know lord willing through jesus christ we pray for their salvation that they would belong to the people of god yes. and that they would have be a part of family from every tribe language nation tongue mm-hmm. and i think especially when it comes to human sexuality because i remember serving in, in student ministry and we had a student who struggled with that very thing Mm -hmm. and we were able to walk with them because we had that previous built relationship with them so we had trust with them Mm -hmm. and to show them and offer them and walk with them that what you're wrestling with is somewhat to be expected in a genesis 3 world because we live in a world that is not as it ought to be right but we were made for a genesis 1 and 2 world Mm -hmm. that just because something is doesn't mean it ought to be that way and to show them not only to go back from Genesis 1 and 2, but also to show the beauty of how God's redeeming all things through his son and is satisfying those longings even better. And I think that comes with any cultural moment, with mm-hmm. anything. So I think very practically, we try to be very open to the questions our boys have. Uh-huh. We try to listen to them. We try to walk with them. And we try to walk them through the word as much as their hearts and brains are able to take in at this time. Right. But I think always, I think whether they're eight or five or whether they're 50 or 80, mm-hmm. we can, this, God has given us his word to always tell a better story. And I think the mm-hmm. more we know his story and the more we can engage our neighbor in any given cultural moment mm-hmm. to equip them for that and not just inform them, but invite them into. Mm-hmm. And that's what they're really hungry. Um, maybe you know to answer a little more again with that same student there was something in has i can remember studying reading a book about this but come in terms of human sexuality there is something to the lgbtq community for those that struggle with human sexuality because they're drawn they feel like outsiders and they feel isolated and they want to belong to a community also mm-hmm. Well, the good news of the scriptures is that through Jesus Christ, God's son, he has made and built a better, more lasting, more diverse community than mm-hmm. we could ever possibly imagine built from all of history, right. from all of time and around the world 
that no one can possibly explain. And I think to see them and help them see that, again, how the scriptures are telling a better story to satisfy the longing of the heart. Yeah. Mm. And reframing the story. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. That's awesome. So we don't always get it right, but especially with our eight and five-year-old, but we try to, you know, plant those seeds now for what we know they will continue to face. Right. But that what they'll continue to be able to understand in more depth. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. Well, and you're giving them a guideline. I mean, like to what they can understand right now, and then as they get a little bit more light, then you give them. I mean, uh, yes, absolutely, they grow a little bit more. I mean, yes. Um, so that's amazing. I love that. Yes, you're part of a team that's even better than your soccer team. Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. Yay. That's what they want. They love. Yes, it. better mean, than Team Telfair. It's yeah. Team God. <laughs> yes, yeah. this is the family of Christ. That's yes. amazing. Yeah, you know that's what we mm-hmm. say. I mean, you know, coming to Birmingham, I'm from Florida. Mm-hmm. I wish I was. Uh, you know, I love the SEC. Uh-huh. But there is something powerful about just. Alabama and Auburn football, you're talking about not just teams, but cultures that represent those teams. Yeah. And the gospel has a, a, a there is a, not the gospel, not only gospel truths, but gospel culture that the gospel produces a better community and a culture that are, we're really longing for and inviting them into. Yes. And I think there's a beauty and a sweetness to that that just takes time. Mm-hmm. But again, in any cultural moment, whether it's currently right now where we are, or in 20 years from now and 40 years from now, mm-hmm. whatever the question may be, the Bible has more than enough sufficient answers to provide and a better story to invite into. Right. And I think helping our, equip our people to see that. Yeah. Yeah. I love the way you put that because I feel like it's so easy to get fear in there and shut it down. And um, But just to be able to point them to God's wonderful plan. His design for us is so much better than what we're trying to do and mess up with our human selves. So yeah. I really like the way you put that. I do too. And I loved how you were talking about a diverse group. You know, like a, there's not a more diverse group mm-hmm. than the body of Christ. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> you know? All over the world. Yes. Like mm-hmm. it's crazy. Huh? Yes. Um, mm-hmm. But and, and there's there's um, a beauty in that. Yeah. That, that we're not all the same yeah. and that we all have our parts to do and that they're all different parts, you know? Yes. Mm-hmm. And it's amazing, you know, in, in, in most other, you know, communities or cultures, you've got to earn your way in mm-hmm. or there's some badge of honor that you have to display or to show. But again, this is the only community that you cannot earn your way in. Right. Uh, and you only the blood of Christ and his, and his finished work can invite you in and keep you anchored in yes and we don't need to worry about losing that you know community status and i think that's as you talk about is that we don't need to be fearful because Mm -hmm. the the you know the early church faced uh, so many of these very things yeah Mm -hmm. and they didn't just make it they were thriving in it Mm -hmm. and i think to show our people today that god has always been sovereign over his church and he will continue to be until his son comes again Mm -hmm. yes that's just Mm -hmm. i think there's deep comfort in that and any given cultural moment there is because it's very easy to take your eyes off of jesus and start putting it on the world and all the things that are going on around what is happening here how did i have what is going on but just get it back on jesus and he conquers sin and death yeah you know and so like just refocusing yeah yeah i love that Oh, this is so exciting. Um, I did have one last question about Scripture, if you don't mind answering. What is one um, common misunderstanding in Scripture that you could debunk for us? Yes. Yes, I think um, uh, one that I think pastorally that I would love to encourage people with to help with is um, 
there there's a common misconception that God the Father, especially in the Old Testament, that somehow the God of the Old Testament uh, is wrathful and vengeful, but then we get a loving and gracious God in the New Testament. Yeah. And I think that's a dangerous thing. That's a that's yes. dangerous thinking, yeah. um, because if if this again the scriptures really are one story mm-hmm. and they're a unified whole, then our God has always been the same God, mm-hmm. and that He has always been loving and gracious, and that He has been wrathful. But that's only when His holiness meets our sinfulness, mm-hmm. and He has to deal with it. Um, I can remember preaching not long ago on Hosea uh, chapter eleven in the book of Hosea. Is all about you know the, the Israel's waywardness and God's faithfulness, and He gives us two clear pictures in the Book of Hosea that, on the one end, He is a uh, loving husband, uh-huh. and we see this early in the Book of Hosea. But toward the end of Hosea in Hosea eleven, we see that He's just a He's a tender father, mm-hmm. and again, that's Hosea in the Book of the Prophets, and specifically, it's. Theologically speaking, we're talking about God the Father. Mm-hmm. That God the Father, in his own self-description, is loving and tender. And um, John Owen, the Puritan, uh, he has a book called uh, Communion, Communion with God. And he, and he walks through how we are to have a particular relationship with God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. Mm-hmm unified as a whole but what does that look like with each of them yeah and with god the father he actually focuses on love that Mm. it's his love Mm -hmm. now we would probably attribute that to the son Mm -hmm. and what he did for us but he 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 shows us by way of the scriptures that it's god the father who loves us and because he loves us he sent his son Mm -hmm. and in hosea chapter 11 i've got it open here it's just this tender language he says in Hosea 11 verses uh, 1 to 4 but just open the verse opening verse he says when Israel was a child I loved him and out of Egypt I called my son and so he, you already have this image of he himself is our father and the last time he used this was in the opening chapters of Exodus mm-hmm. and he's using this adopting language viewing his people as his child Mm. and he goes on to unpack it and said that he taught his people to walk so it's very patient language if you've ever taught a child to walk you don't know when they're going to walk how long Mm. it's going to take them to walk they're going to walk on their own time but he's walking with them he says i led them with cords of kindness and bands of love This is God's own self-description of himself and his actions toward his own people. So if you will, I guess, Hosea 11 is really, in a way, the Matthew 11 of the Old Testament. That it's God's own self-description of his own heart towards his own people. Mm -hmm. And this was in the midst of their sinfulness. They didn't deserve that. But he's reminding them of who he has promised himself to be to them. And I think it's helpful for us to remind out of that, as uh, one person put, there is no unchristlikeness in God the Father. Mm-hmm. That there's yeah. nothing in God the Father that we don't see in the Son. Yeah. yeah. And that, I think, is we've got to sit with that. That's got to work on us. We, we can know that theoretically, but we have to have that, to get back to maybe cooking language, marinate within our own uh-huh. hearts. 
to to really see that. But the scriptures tell us that time and time again. So I think that would be a good, I think, encouragement and a comfort to people to help maybe debunk that. Yeah. And the scripture does that for us time and time again. But Hosea 11 is such a clear picture Mm -hmm. of it. Yeah, that's so good. So you said the father's relationship. Now, then I would like to hear um, what he says about the son, or he and you say about the son and the spirit and walking by the spirit and walking the son's relationship. Like, how do y'all see um, the God of the New Testament and God of the Old Testament and then how the Holy Spirit fits into those three? Yes. You know, um, in John Owen's book, it's very, very helpful. Uh, It can be dense at times, but Mm -hmm. it's very helpful. And he takes the whole thing. From Second uh, Corinthians uh, chapter thirteen verse fourteen, okay. and in Second Corinthians chapter thirteen verse fourteen, and again it's 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 wonderful because it's it's the final uh, verse of Second Corinthians. It's Paul's benediction to the church at Corinth, and he says to them in Trinitarian language, "The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God." And we've got to put God, meaning God the Father, mm-hmm. and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with mm-hmm. you all. Mm-hmm. And he opens up his book in showing that it's God the Father that we have primarily a relationship to engage with him through love. Not that we love him first and foremost, but that the Father loves us. Mm-hmm. That it's out of his overflow of love to us that he sent his son and it's the grace. So grace is the kind of the triumphant theme mm-hmm. with the Son. So if it's love with the Father, it's grace with the Son because of his finished work on the cross mm-hmm. that he paid for us what we could not pay for ourselves. Mm-hmm. And because of that, it's fellowship with the Holy Spirit that we engage not only with the Father and the Son, but it's through our fellowship with the Spirit that he takes all the finished work of the Son to apply it to our hearts and our lives. Mm -hmm. And so they are all together as one, Mm -hmm. love, grace, and fellowship, but there is a distinctive tone, um, maybe a minor key to each of them that allows the symphony of all three of them to play together. Mm, And and they don't work against one another, they work together. Mm -hmm. And that's why even just with the by way of redemption, the Father planned our salvation, the Son, he paid for it, and now the Spirit applies it. Yeah. And so we engage with the Lord. And John Owen, he takes this wonderful book all out of Second Corinthians 13, verse 14. And he takes it. It's meant to be a benediction, a blessing to the church in Corinth. Mm-hmm. And it's meant to be a blessing to us today. Mm-hmm. Oh, and that's yeah. how he wrote that book. Yeah, I love that. And the fellowship. Like walking in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. is just so cool. Yeah. Um, uh, tell me what that looks like. I know we've got to wrap it up, but but tell me what that looks like in your life, walking with the Spirit. Uh, you know, I, I think for me, um, the first thing that comes to mind is, is listening. Right. We know that the Word and the Spirit work in, in harmony together, in tandem together. Mm-hmm. And I've got to make sure that I'm listening to Him by way of listening to His Word. And I can tell, mm-hmm. um, I had a friend say this once, you can tell that the Spirit is prompting you very practically oftentimes when it's the very thing you don't want to do. 
And so I yes. think that's a good measure of we know we ought to do it, but we don't want to do it. So I think that is a great way of listening to go, okay, Lord, I'm, I'm submitting to you yes. and I'm trusting you. And, uh, and I think also because of that, it's a walking with the spirit is, um, is the character of Christ being built in us. But I've noticed for me, and Meredith has helped point this out in me, that it's an anchoring and a settling in my soul that probably shouldn't be there on the surface, but it's mm-hmm. there by way of something that's beyond me. Yeah. And yeah. I think that's what it it, it 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 looks like in my life to walk with the Spirit and, mm-hmm. and just to see the, the sweetness of Jesus, not just to, to see him, to know him, but to, to, to just see him as sweeter and more beautiful than I had before. Yeah. Because he shines always the light on the on the God the Son. And mm-hmm. I think the more I can put my gaze on him, I, I'm realizing, okay, I am walking with the Spirit yeah. when I'm seeing more of the Sun. Yeah, I like yeah. that. So I love that. Right. Yeah. You sound like a pastor. <laughs> <laughs> like you put all this so beautifully. Yeah, I know. <laughs> that so sounds amazing. This. this this is what I want. <laughs> a lot of hard fought truths sometimes, a lot of battle scars well, that great. Uh, have a great to tell way. You. <laughs> yeah. You just have a great way of delivering and explaining it for us to understand. Wow. So thank you for doing that. Thank you for coming and yeah. sharing your heart and your wisdom. Yes. And I, I just appreciate you doing your part and raising up these boys and just all of the things that you do and being a great spouse. House. Team Telfair <laughs> <laughs> to your wife. Well, we are Beautiful both married. So thankful for you guys, your ministry, this podcast, mm-hmm. all that you do. It has been a joy to be with you guys. Yeah. So thank, thank you. you. Thank, thank you. Thank you. Yes. This has been so fun. Yes. <laughs> I loved. This is a, this should be encouraging to us as mothers mm-hmm. because his mom and dad showed such amazing parenting yeah like they had margin in their lives i loved how when he didn't want to leave church one day and felt like he didn't need to leave church that they just sat in the parking lot yeah. and he um, and he prayed to receive christ then yeah and y'all that can you imagine like you have another child in the car who's also hungry y'all mm-hmm. are tired it's a sunday but their his parents had margin yeah and they parented intentionally with them like mm-hmm. they saw the gifts he said nobody else in their family were pastors but they saw that that is what God was calling him to do. Well, I just always love the way you can get a behind-the-scenes glimpse into what people are doing, Um, especially Ben. He's in the ministry, and so you know he has a love for the Lord and a love for the church. And so I just really enjoy getting to pick his brain and see where that comes from and just hearing Mm -hmm. the story of how his mom always had her Bible out any time he'd walk by and how he does that. And you can just see the love of Christ in a day-to-day situation and Sometimes we think it has to be a huge thing to be mm-hmm. a pastor, and we you know, think we could never do that. But just to be faithful in the little things and yes. faithful, and like you said, with having margin and taking the time to really just see what the Lord is doing in our life for that day. Yes. I love how Ben, um, when we asked him, what does the church need? And he said, praying people. We need to be praying for the pastors and the ministers because I forget about that. And y'all, that is a huge thing because they are tempted. They are, you know, worn out. It is hard to serve. And so we can serve our local churches by praying for the people who are leading our mm-hmm. local churches. And that was just really um motivating for me to just think, okay, I need to get in there and start praying for the for our leaders more. I just love his point of like, we're a needy people and we are a needed people. And I think we just need to remember, 
We are needed in this body of Christ. We are needed to do our part. So now y'all go and do your part.